0: Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that we call you Father, all because of your firstborn Son over all creation, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for every good and perfect gift from above. We thank you for watching over our children and families throughout the summer. As the new school year begins, we ask your blessings on every school campus, public, private, homeschool, Please protect these campuses. May nothing threaten the lives of your children. Keep them safe while they learn. We pray for the principals and administrators and school personnel. Help them lead with excellence and teach with wisdom and serve with compassion and work with diligence and drive with carefulness. Give the teachers sound minds wise plans, compassionate hearts, clear words, physical strength, good examples, and motivating leadership. Lord, help our students learn. Grant them curiosity of mind, passion to discover, strength to focus, ability to remember, and discernment of truth. Help them remember that all truth is your truth. Help them to obey their teachers and to be kind to their fellow students. Protect them from bullying, bad habits, and foolish friends. Inspire them to give their very best in every class, every assignment, every exam. And may this academic year be their best ever. And we pray for our children with difficult home situations and physical disabilities, learning challenges. Help them to strive and succeed In spite of the challenges that are working against them, give them teachers who are sensitive to their needs. Let them know that they are loved and cared for always. And above all, draw to saving faith those who do not know Jesus. And for those who do, use their learning so that they will love you more and more. And may they view this school year as a strategic missionary opportunity to be your ambassador, to share the gospel. And to be light and salt on campus. And I ask all of this with thanksgiving and with the confidence that you, Lord, will give us only what is good as you define good. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and the church said, Amen. Amen. So Tony Campolo is a retired uh, sociology professor. He taught at the University of Pennsylvania. He taught at Eastern uh, College in Pennsylvania. He's also an ordained pastor. And he has spoken over the years to many Christian gatherings. And one time Tony Campolo was asked to speak at a Pentecostal college in Eastern Pennsylvania... He remembers going backstage and having eight pastors lay their hands on his head and pray over him prior to the chapel service. And it was quite an invigorating experience, uh, but maybe you don't know this, pastors can sometimes pray lengthy prayers. And as these pastors were doing just that, they you know, had their hand on his head and they were praying these lengthy prayers with their hands on his head and as these pastors were praying and lengthy prayers, they began to fatigue and their hands would just kind of lay heavily on his head and his neck was kind of getting sore and one particular pastor didn't even pray for Tony. He said, "Oh Lord, we just want to lift up Charlie Stoltzfus before you today. Tony King Polo's going Charlie Stoltzfus, he's not the one preaching in chapel. What is that all about? Oh, Lord, we just ask that you would just be with Charlie and his family. Be with Charlie Stoltzfus, who decided to leave his wife and his three children uh, this morning. Oh, Lord, you know where Charlie Stoltzfus lives. He lives about a mile from here in the silver trailer on the right. Tony Campbell was going, does this guy not think that God knows where Charlie Stoltzfus lives? Why would he pray that in his prayer? And this guy went on and on and on and on and after they were done praying Tony Campolo got up and uh, did uh, his chapel service and it went really well and then shook hands and got in his car and went on the highway to go back and uh, while he was on the highway uh, he happened to see a hitchhiker on the shoulder of the road he's thinking well I'm a minister I guess I ought to pick the guy up so he pulls over to the side and picks up the hitchhiker the guys in the car and uh, they go off Tony Campolo says by the way I'm Tony Tony, how are you? And the guy says, hi, I'm Charlie Stoltzfus. (laughs) True story. (laughs) You're Charlie Stoltzfus. I'm Charlie Stoltzfus. Really? Yeah. So Tony Campolo gets off at the very next exit and turns around. Charlie Stoltzfus goes, what what are you doing? I'm taking you home. Because you decided to leave your wife and three kids this morning, didn't you? How did you know that? He's plastered against the, you know? And so then Tony Campolo goes back and goes down one mile from the chapel to the silver trailer on the right, pulls over the driveway, and Charlie Stolz's eyes are just bugging out. How do you know where I live? Tony Campolo says, Because God told me. the door opens his wife comes out you're back you're back and, and they hug and Tony Campolo says now you two let's go in here you sit down I'm going to talk and you're going to listen and did they ever and he saved their marriage uh, Yeah. James chapter 5 Verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Pastor H.B. Charles once said, there is much to do to fix your situation after you pray. But there is nothing you can do to fix it until you pray. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I think about that account, and I think about that quote, and I think about that verse, and I'm thinking, Oh, God, for my prayers to have that power. You know, what would, and it wasn't Tony Campolo's prayers. He wasn't praying. It was that pastor praying. What would it take to have that much power in my prayer? Who wouldn't want that? And that's a good question to ask, church family. At the same time, the moment I ask that question, I start thinking of prayer as a technique. I start thinking of phrasing prayers in a particular way. I start thinking about word crafting. I start thinking about prayer as sort of cracking the code. Prayer is sort of a, you know, a a Da Vinci code scheme that if I can just pray the right prayer in the right way, I can get God to do what it is I want to do. And that we kind of, we're getting, that's not where we're going. That's not where we're going. Um, Very helpful book uh, during the summer that I read by Paul Miller called A Praying Life. Many people struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying, not on God. Let that sit there for a minute. Many people struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying, not on God. See, we're we're focusing on technique and not focusing on our Father. Making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. In prayer... Focusing on the conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. It freezes us, making us unsure of where to go. Conversation is only the vehicle through which we experience one another. So consequently, prayer is not the center. God is the center. God is the center. Getting to know God. So what is there to know about our God? Oh, what is there to know about our God? This is where Jesus helps us so very much. And this is why he gave us a parable, so that we can get to know who God is. Because once you get to know who God is, and you get to know who you are, the prayers will come. They will. They will. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, and I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And Jesus tells a parable in verses 1 through 8, and it's titled in our church Bibles, The Parable of the Persistent Widow. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, Uh, There's a copy of the scripture in the pouch in front of you. Please take it, put your name in it, and uh, receive it as a gift from our church family. Uh, You'll find Luke 18, 1 through 8, on page 877 of your church Bibles. Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. Now, this is a unique parable. Because in many of Jesus' parables, we don't really get the point of the parable until the end of the parable. But this is different. Luke already tells us what the point of the parable is. Did you see that in verse 1? The point of the parable is that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Anybody here today about to lose heart? Anybody here today losing heart? Losing heart relationally? Losing heart uh, with a friendship. Losing heart vocationally. Losing heart spiritually. You may have come here today and say, okay, I'll come, I'll come today. But this is the last day. It happens. People come here weary and tired and fatigued and they've lost heart. This is your Sunday this is your Sunday. Jesus gave us this parable to always pray and not lose heart. In fact, we could put the big idea uh, just this way. Here it is. Prayer is the path to persevering faith. Prayer is the path to persevering faith. How can we continue when we feel like quitting? How can our heart be strengthened when we feel like it's lost? Jesus tells us in this parable, it's By persevering prayer. Persevering prayer that refuses to quit, which leads to a persevering faith because we know the God who has never quit on us. And Jesus in this parable introduces us uh, to life at the legal courtroom, which is by far different than our version of what courtroom looked like. You know, we have a county courthouse, or we have a federal courthouse, and uh, the courtroom, and there are uh, wood paneled walls, and the judge comes in, and there's a decorum, and uh, there is a sense of uh, a a somber sense before uh, the bench. That's how it is with us today, Uh, but that's not what that looked like in that day. That day, it was a very public event. It was at the gates of the city, and there were people hustling and bustling about, and there was a lot of noise, and there was the judge, and if you, and, and it was uh, typically not a trial by jury with a jury of peers. Trials back then. Uh, it was a bench trial, and so the judge would hear the case, and then rule on the case, and move on. Next case. Move on. Next case. And so people would come, and to get on the docket, you had to get the judge's attention. And so, you know, people are vying, and shouting, and yelling, and, and it's a very busy, very noisy place, and there are people all around, and, and there's a lot of commotion going on. And we already know what kind of Person, this judge is. This is a crooked judge, an unjust judge, an unrighteous judge. It says, in a certain city, there was a judge, verse 2, who neither feared God nor respected man. The two greatest laws in the Hebrew Bible love God, love people. And this judge had absolutely no regard for the two highest laws in the Hebrew uh, faith. This judge was crooked. And partial and corrupt. Which means he took bribes. And so if you wanted your case heard before this judge. You needed to grease the wheels of justice with a bribe. And then maybe you would get a hearing before this judge. And furthermore if you wanted this judge to rule in your favor. You better grease his wheels even more. So he was a rich He was a powerful judge. He was a crooked judge. Uh, He was a judge whose decisions changed people's lives. That's who this, this character was. On the other side was this widow. This vulnerable, weak. She had no money, no power, no influence. No voice. She had nothing. And she's all by herself. She has no representation. That's why she's there. In that day, a female would not make an appearance before that kind of a judge. It would either be her father or her husband or her sons. She has no husband. She has no father. No sons. No male, no representation whatsoever. It's just her against someone like him. It doesn't look good. He could make her life. He's a game changer. But she has something. (laughs) She has something. Even though she doesn't have any money, any influence, any power. She's a feisty widow. She's got grit. She's got resolve. And she is not going to quit. And so she says in verse 3, Give me justice against my adversary. Meaning she's in the right. And she knows it. And the adversary knows it. And if only the judge would hear her case, he would know it. She's in the right. He can do something to change her life. And so she keeps coming to him. But he refuses. Why should he see her? Well, how will it benefit him? So he refuses, but she won't quit. She keeps coming. Back after every case. Give me justice against my adversary. At the end of the day. Give me justice against my adversary. She follows him home. Give me justice against my adversary. He looks out the window. There, give me justice against my adversary. He goes to the farmer's market to pick up some beds. Give me justice. Every corner he turns, there she is. Give me justice. He dreams about her. Give me justice against my... I mean, she just won't quit. She's like Bob Wiley and Dr. Leo Marvin in that movie, What About Bob? Dr. Leo Marvin, played by Richard Dreyfuss, is this self-absorbed, self-involved psychiatrist. And Bob Wiley, played by Bill Murray, is, uh, you know, this patient and he kind of stalks Richard Dreyfus and follows Richard Dreyfus family up to Lake Winnipesaukee for his vacation, and 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 and, and Richard Dreyfus just cannot shake Bill Murray at all, and he's driving him crazy. And 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 finally, finally, he you know Dreyfus just snaps, you know, and 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 and. and Decides to put a bag of dynamite. It's a silly movie. A di- bag of dynamite around Bill Murray. And, and, and Bill Murray says, well, what is this, Dr. Marvin? Is this a new kind of therapy? Yes, it's death therapy. It's a guaranteed cure, Bob. And, and uh, you know, well, I'll leave you alone. No, you just say you leave me but you won't. You keep coming back. You keep coming back and, get, and convincing everybody that you're a wonderful guy and I'm a schmuck and I'm not a schmuck, Bob. And I'm not going to let you breeze into town and let, take my family away from me just because you're crazy enough to be fun. I've seen it a few times. <laughs> I, it was a long flight to San Diego. Well, actually the judge does far better than Dr. Marvin (laughs) because the judge finally, I mean he is getting worn down. In fact, uh, verse uh, 5 says, this widow keeps bothering me. It's a great word picture. It means to give a black eye. She is beating me down. (laughs) Okay, all right. What is it? What do you want? (laughs) And so she the case. And he says, okay, you pay her now. 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 Okay. 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 Now, you know, leave me alone. Get out of here. Get out of the car. And then Jesus says this. Amazing. Hear what the unrighteous judge says hear what the unright Jesus says pay attention to this crooked judge this crooked judge is our teacher for the day isn't that odd but yeah when you pray plead with God and pester God, and nag God, and annoy God, and keep coming back to God over and over and over and over, and wear Him down and wear Him out, and keep asking and asking and asking, until He finally says, Okay, enough! I've had enough! Okay, you can have it. Now, get out of here! Amen? Don't say amen! That's not the point. (laughs) 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 <laughs> you say, well, Pastor, what's the point? Here's the point. This is a negative comparison. Write this down. This is a negative comparison, lesser to greater parable. That's the point. It's a negative comparison, lesser to greater parable. Jesus' point is that God is not like this judge. Jesus' point is that God is not unrighteous. God is not corrupt. God is not crooked. God is not inconsistent. God is not like that judge. A negative comparison. And if a crooked and corrupt judge can be moved to render justice to a poor, vulnerable widow... For his own good. That judge didn't do anything for her good. That judge just did it for his good to get her off his case. He heard her case. But if a crooked judge can be moved to render justice to this vulnerable widow for his own good, how much more than lesser to greater? Negative comparison, lesser to greater parable. How much more then will our God who is righteous and impartial and incorruptible and graciously wonderful, he's a graciously wonderful judge. And he's not just a judge, is he? Because in the Lord's prayer, Jesus does not teach us to begin that prayer with Our righteous judge in the courtroom of heaven. Oh, that would be true. But that's not how Jesus teaches us to pray his prayer. How does he tell us? Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. So. So if this wicked judge can be moved to render justice for this vulnerable widow how much more will your father respond to you when you cry out to him day and night for your good for your good see god the father is not a corrupt judge and i'll tell you something else god's not a corrupt judge And you're not a bag lady. Who are you in this parable? You're not not the widow. You're not. Who are you? How does the text refer to you and me in these verses? Look at verse 7. You see the word elect. That's who you are. In Christ, that's who you are. You are the elect in Christ and and so i can't help but think of what the apostle paul says in ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in christ jesus he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in him we have redemption. In Him, we have adoption. In Him, we have forgiveness of sins. In Him, we have the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. You're not a bag lady. You are an adopted child of the King. That's what it means to be elect. God is our loving, good, heavenly Father, and you are his elect child that's who he is and that's who you are and that needs to dominate the environment in which you bring your prayers to your good good father let that reality dominate your heart and your prayer life will automatically improve because when you start focusing on your father and his goodness and his love and his beauty And you remember what he's done for you. Then you will grasp what at least to me is the most difficult word in this parable. It's in verse 8. It's the word speedily. Speedily. (laughs) And you will realize then that when Jesus says speedily in verse 8. That's your father's time zone, not your time zone. (laughs) Our little one-year-old Audrey, she operates on a different time. Ten seconds is much longer to her than her mom and dad. See, Are you saying that I'm just a one-year-old? Yeah. And me too. And me too. And the Apostle Peter does too. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. He's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. So anytime. time. God delays it's always for our good so then always pray and never lose heart let prayer be the path to persevering faith he will come through he will come through so keep coming before the Lord keep praying for justice Listen, it's no secret that this parable is about seeking justice on behalf of those who have no voice. So keep praying. Keep praying that you will be able to endure because there are still rascals in this world who neither fear God nor respect people. Keep seeking God. Keep worshiping. Keep being in the company of believers. Or as we say at Celebrate Recovery on Friday night, keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep asking. Keep serving. Keep giving. If a vulnerable widow can cry out to an unjust judge in the hope that even he can make things right, how much more then can we, who are the elect children of God, cry out in hope to our good Father, knowing that He will make good on His promise for us. Do you believe that? So I want to give you something very, very, very practical here this morning. Um, a discipline of prayer that I've been taught, and I do not offer this as... A technique to manipulate the Almighty, but I offer this as a, a discipline to help keep my mind focused, because I don't know about you, but I often get distracted in my prayers. And so here is the discipline. Uh, it's from a really good book uh, by a Don Whitney called Praying the Bible." Praying the Bible. And here's the book in one sentence. Okay? When you pray, open your Bible and pray through a passage of Scripture. A verse, a paragraph, a parable, or a chapter. That's the book. (laughs) When you pray, open your Bible and pray through a passage of Scripture. Now, what does that look like? Well, with this parable, it might look like this. Verse 1. Oh Lord, help me always to pray to you. Help me never quit. Help me never quit my faith. Help me never quit my degree program. Help me not to quit my relationships, my church, my small group. Help me not to quit, Lord. Verses two through seven. Because, Lord, you are so much more than this judge. You are righteous. You are just. You are pure. You are incorruptible. You are brilliant. You are beautiful. Hallowed be thy name. And, O God in Christ, I am so much more than this widow. In Christ I am elect. In Christ I am chosen. In Christ I am redeemed. In Christ I am rescued. In Christ I am adopted. In Christ I am secure. In Christ I am holy. Not by my works. Not by my acts of religion. But by your grace and your mercy alone. Now then Lord give me. Grant me. If it be your will help me. And no matter what happens. With my problem with my conflict, with my health, with my country, with my job, no matter what happens, Lord, find me faithful. Find me faithful. You see, that's verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, and He is coming, will He find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns... To remake the new heavens and the new earth, how will he find his elect? will he find them faithful in prayer? See see we, we look at this parable, and we 're wondering how god 's going to respond, but that 's really not the point it 's how are we going to respond See see we, we already know how God has responded to our acts of treason. Our good, good father met justice by putting his son. On the cross for our sins, Jesus received God's justice so that we can receive God's forgiveness. In the fullness of time, God speedily sent his Son. God made him who knew no sin. To be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And in His death and burial and resurrection and ascension, God in Christ has acted on our behalf doing what we could never do on our own. God gave Jesus our justice so that we could receive adoption by grace. And why did He do this? What was His motive Love, love, his sole motive, love. Love destroyed the penalty of sin. Love is destroying the power of sin. And one day, when the Son of Man comes to remake the heavens and the earth into the new heavens and the new earth, he will destroy the presence of sin forever. So persevere. And persevere by praying because prayer is the pathway to persevering faith. You can't bother God in prayer because you're not a bother. And you can't annoy God in prayer because you're not an annoyance. You're an adopted child in his family. And you might say, well, I don't want to trouble him with my small thing. Listen. Listen. Before our almighty God, there is no big thing. It's all small. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God's not the unjust judge. And you're not the widow. So come to him. Come to Always pray. Always persevere. So, so, can you imagine a congregation of a thousand people? They're just absolutely convinced of that to the core of who they are. A congregation with fervor and hope and intensity and passion. A congregation that knows that God their heavenly father is good and they are loved. In Christ they are the elect. Not elect in any sense of superiority, but elect in the sense that God's love is firm and secure and God will make good and we can't lose. My goodness, we've had two uh, dreary weeks of political conventions, each party vying for influence and power, and each claiming that they can do what only God can do. But we know better. What could a thousand heart-filled, persistent, gritty, feisty believers do in our community? At the U of I, at Parkland, in the business community, at our medical centers, at our school districts. Immovable believers. Believers who have a rock-solid hope in their King, Jesus, the Son of Man, will make things right in this life and in the life to come. Will Christ return to find us faithful? Well, yes, He will. Won't He? Amen. Amen. Because we know who He is, loving Heavenly Father, And we know who we are. The elect by the grace of Christ. Amen.